Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat shalom. Embedded in the opening verses of our Torah reading sit cautionary words with application not only to our ancient biblical predecessors, but to all of us on this week following Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. The name of our Torah reading is Achrei Mot, literally after the death, specifically the catastrophic and inexplicable death of Aaron's sons as described in a previous Parsha. In the wake of the calamity, so traumatized was Aaron that words themselves failed. Vayidom Aaron and Aaron turned silent. The first to speak would not be Aaron, but God. In the opening verse of our Torah reading, God instructs Moses to tell his brother Aaron to keep his distance, to not draw close to the shrine containing God's presence. God is aware of Aaron's need, of the human need to make sense of his loss, to put his heartache into words and maybe even to call God to account. Al Yavo, do not come close, God warns. It's too soon. Perhaps it will always be too soon to make sense of your trauma. In the face of unspeakable tragedy, God cautions that we can do harm to ourselves if we try to understand too much. Sometimes it's better to keep our distance. Sometimes it's better to remain silent. And today, just days after Yom HaShoah, we too find ourselves seeking meaning. Every year, as did our community this past week, we remember the six million murdered at the hands of the Nazis and their collaborators, not to mention the millions of individuals, homosexuals, mentally impaired gypsies and others condemned to elimination. We are all, always, and especially at this time of year, a bit like Aaron, trying to make sense of Holocaust memory, to tame the incomprehensible, to cauterize our loss with words, to understand that which cannot ever be fully understood. With great trepidation, we draw close We feel a moral duty to explore, to assess, and to affirm our obligation to remember. This year, for at least two reasons, I feel like the stakes of Holocaust memory are higher, higher than in years before. First, we're acutely aware that we're living through the time of the passing of the survivor generation. I grew up, as many in this room probably did, in an active relationship with those who experienced the horrors of the Shoah firsthand. My teachers, my parents' friends, at our dinner table, and otherwise. But this is no longer the case. My daughter came home the other day from a school assembly where a survivor spoke to her class. And my daughter relayed the frail physical and mental condition of the speaker. It was less, she said, a testimony and more like a final visit in the hospital 
to a loved one significant not so much for what anyone said, but the hope that you and that person sense here together in these final moments. Of the 3,000 participants in this year's March of the Living, the annual journey of remembrance from Auschwitz to Birkenau, only eight, eight survivors were in attendance, most likely the final march with survivors present. There's an urgency to the question of Holocaust memory because we know that one day soon it will be only us, not the survivors, who will be entrusted with the responsibility of remembrance. Second, Holocaust remembrance feels different this year, and I spoke about this just a few weeks ago, because we are living through a time of atrocities being perpetuated on a scale unseen since the Holocaust. Ours is a time of mass graves. The same places that saw our brethren murdered, in which the crematoria burned, are now the very places about which we read about in the news receiving the millions of refugees fleeing Putin and his army. The questions to which historians and moral philosophers have become accustomed to debating, should FDR have bombed the tracks? What did the world know and when? How is it possible that the world stood by? What's a response line between guilt and responsibility? These are questions being actively played out today. Never again is not a just slogan of yesteryear. It's a moral threshold in breach in real time. Holocaust memory is never an abstract enterprise, but this year, more than any year I can remember, it's an urgent moral calling. This year, more than ever, we need to understand, we need to ask how and to what ends the Holocaust shall be remembered. So why do we remember? We remember, as a philosopher Paul Ricoeur wrote, lest we allow forgetfulness to kill the victims twice over. On the desk of my office sits a book, a huge volume with the word Jew printed six million times. It's a powerful, albeit insufficient, attempt to give expression to the number of souls, each one a universe whose divine spark was snuffed out by Nazi barbarity. Why is the Holocaust Museum in Israel called Yad Vashem? Because the name comes from the book of Isaiah who describes the fear of those who without descendants that they will be forgotten. To them I will give within my house and my walls a Yad, a memorial, and a Shem, a name. No museum, no book, no person can recall all the names. No amount of Kaddishes will ever suffice. And yet, as Sabrina taught us this morning, we remember, we bear witness through museums, through education and memorials. We honor our commitment to the victims of Auschwitz. Why do we remember? We remember because it's our moral obligation to remember. We recall the suffering of those murdered. We remember the defiant spirit of those who refuse to be dehumanized by their oppressors. Most of all, we remember how they lived. As Dara Horn, who spoke this past week at Park Avenue Synagogue said, while many of us can name three concentration camps, how many of us can name three Yiddish authors that we've read? Ultimately, it's their lives, not their deaths, that we have to remember. 
Given COVID, it has been years since we've had a congregational trip to Poland. See the camps. We should have one. Can't think of any better chairs than these two families. For adults and for teens, sooner than later. But that effort has to come with curriculum attached, a curriculum that honors and affirms a millennia-long history of culture, literature, music, and learning. Memory, memory deployed properly must reclaim the lives, not just the deaths, of those we solemnly swear never to forget. And when it comes to the Shoah, tears themselves are not enough. We need to deploy all our faculties and resources to understand how did the Holocaust happen? Why do we study the history, the ideology, the pathology of anti-Semitism that gave rise to the Holocaust? Why read about the genteel Nazi technocrats who gathered in 41 at Wannsee for 90 minutes to devise the final solution to the Jewish question? Why study what happened at Evian three years earlier when the nations of the world turned their backs on the desperate refugees seeking refuge? Because memory is meant to inform our moral character. Remembrance without a moral dimension in the present is meaningless. As Raphael Lemkin wrote, the function of memory is not only to register past events, but to stimulate human conscience. We remember so we don't fall prey to repeating those misdeeds. We remember those righteous Gentiles who risked their lives in order to save Jews because it reminds us of our own moral agency that from the Garden of Eden onwards, we're not only capable of differentiating between good and evil, but we have ownership over the choices we make. We remember, as Saul Friedlander observes, in order to shift the nature of the traumatic memory from a negative and incomprehensible event to a positive and empowering principle of action for the community. Holocaust memory is a lament, a lament that must be leveraged for present action. As the motto of Holocaust Remembrance Alliance states, a world that remembers the Holocaust, a world without genocide. There are, without question, pitfalls that come with Holocaust remembrance. Setting aside the inane conversations about masking in yellow stars, which don't dignify a response, there are moments that we do have to exercise caution in how we remember. There was a time when we were told, when I was told, that the reason to be Jewish was Holocaust memory, that we must live Jewishly so as not to give Hitler a posthumous victory. Understanding as I am of the context of the argument, it's an argument that's long run its course. Those of us, like you, Harry, who carry the names of those whose lives were traumatized or taken by the Shoah, honor their names by living positive, engaged, and meaning-filled Jewish lives. You, we, all of us will always remember, but you honor your great-grandfather best by living a loving, joyful, engaged, and committed Jewish life that stands on its own terms, not because of the Holocaust. So too Israel. You don't need to be much of a historian to know that had Israel become a nation in 1938 instead of 1948, millions of lives could have been saved. And yet, the argument for Israel should not and cannot ever be the Holocaust. It should not be 
because to claim that it is serves the purposes of those haters of Israel that the Jewish people who would claim of the Jewish people who would claim that Israel's existence is merely a byproduct of the world's post-war sympathy towards the Jewish people. It cannot be because it's historically inaccurate. The claim of the Jewish people to the land long dates before the Shoah to Genesis chapter 12 or political Zionism to the 1800s. Most of all, we're careful not to link the two for fear that it suggests a theological link, that the greatest triumph of our people in the modern era came somehow as a result of our greatest catastrophe. Grateful as I am to God for the miracle of Israel, humbled as I am at the human suffering of the Shoah, it's theologically abhorrent to me that in the calculus of the heavens, the two are connected. Every Holocaust memorial doesn't need Hatikva to be sung. Visits to Auschwitz don't need to be done wrapped in an Israeli flag. Every Eli Eli need not taper off into hallelujah. There is the Holocaust and there is Israel. And Holocaust memory must never be instrumentalized towards justifying the state of Israel or for that matter, any of its policies, save those that prompt Israel to heed the plight of people seeking the safety and sanctuary denied Jews some 80 years ago. Finally, and with this we're turning to the events of present day, we must be skeptical of the public debates about the relationship between the Holocaust and other atrocities past, present, and unfortunately future. Is the Holocaust akin to the Syrian refugee crisis, American slavery, or the war in Ukraine? What is the technical definition of genocide, and how does it differ from garden variety crimes against humanity? I recommend to you a recent article on the subject by James Leffler, the point of which being that such debates on whether to compare or not to compare miss the bigger point that it's all terrible and it all demands a moral response. Acknowledging someone else's suffering doesn't diminish mine, just the opposite. As a Jew, it's my awareness of my people's suffering that enables me to have empathy for that of others. As Elie Wiesel taught, while the Holocaust was a unique and uniquely Jewish event, its implications are universal. And Wiesel's student, our own Menachem Rosensaf, who has written most eloquently of his refusal to engage in this game of comparative suffering. Cautious as we may be about the risks of moral equivalency and political opportunism, it strikes me that the greater danger is in allowing such debates to distract us from our obligation to respond to the present sufferings of humanity. Ours is not just a Torah reading, but it is the era of Acharei Mot, after the death, after the death, the murder of six million. This week and every week, we remember. We remember wisely, judiciously, and with hearts filled with sorrow. We remember most of all with a sense of purpose. Next week's Torah reading is, after all, Kedoshim, containing the charge to live a life of holiness, to love our neighbors, to care for those in need, to call the world to account when in breach of our obligations one to another. What comes after death? A calling, a calling to aspire to be Kadosh, 
to be godlike in our actions. Never again may be an aspiration, but it is that to which we aspire nevertheless. The agony of humanity, the moral imperatives of our memory, too great to have it any other way. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.